1: Welcome into episode 210 of the Source of State podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Good Country. Sean, how the heck are you?
2: I am fantastic. Jack Pilgrim, how are you?
1: Oh, just dandy, just peachy, having a great old time, especially now that we have my guy, uh, very special guest, Will Martin, head coach of the Missouri Western State Griffins. Will, what's going on, buddy?
3: Hey, just grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. So it's a big day for you and, and your program as Kentucky releases its uh, official 2022-2023 basketball schedule. And right there at the top of the list is is, is you guys. How excited are you, were you to uh, kind of get this announcement out of the way and, and kind of put your all's program uh, on the spotlight that it deserves?
3: Yeah, we're super excited, but I think it's overshadowed by just the humility and gratefulness that we have to be able to play this game. And um, there's the obvious storylines. You know, I worked at Kentucky for four years. I was a student assistant manager, and I hired two former players in John Hood and Perry Stevenson. But if I learned anything from Coach Cal during my time is it's all about the players. So, um, you know, I'm just really stoked for our kids and the platform that this will provide them. And grateful that coach Cal and the university of kentucky made this happen. We're obviously
1: going to get into the, you know, nitty gritty your time at kentucky, some of your favorite moments, winning the national championship uh there in lexington, so we're excited about all of that stuff.
3: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At US Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground cities to local communities cbp agents and officers are keeping people safe join u.s customs and border protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself learn more at cbp.gov careers
1: but uh, just how did this game get put together we're, we're very interested to see how uh, you know kind of the behind the scenes stories those first calls, the, the first calls with coach cal and uh, how this thing got scheduled
3: I had a little bit of naivety, I think. I have to credit that, you know, just persistence and keep asking Coach Cal and and the people over at Kentucky. I I never really thought that it would actually uh, materialize into anything, but as soon as I became the head coach, you know, I reached out and said, we'd love to play you all, obviously, um, and then just stayed at it, and Coach Cal did a phenomenal job of responding back and and trying to fit something into their schedule, and um, you know, obviously, now that we have Perry and and John, it, it kind of Increase the the opportunity, um, I, I believe, for both sides. Hopefully, and um, just super, super, super stoked that we were able to make it happen this year.
2: Will, what are some things that you're looking forward to most about being back at Rupp Arena?
3: It's going to be emotional for me. You know, I mean, it, you think about it. I have wiped up sweat there for four years, and, you, and when you do that, you never you never imagine yourself actually getting to to coach there. So, um, you know, I know I've overused the word humility, but that's that's the emotion that I feel, and it's going to be amplified when I'm there. Um, but again, just the to be able to see my guys um, play play in Rupp Arena in front of the fan base at Kentucky, and to be able to experience that, um, I think that's what's going to make me the most emotional. It is for our players. And when
2: it comes to philosophy and and concepts and things that you teach, how much of what you learned under John Calipari do you apply to to your career and in your coaching and your teaching?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I always say that all of us are products of the people who first invested in us and Coach Cal invested very heavily in me and all of our, our managers, just like he does his players. And so a lot of who I am as a leader, a lot of who I am as a head coach, um, even concepts on the floor are directly correlated to, to what I learned from Coach Cal. But the main thing um, is putting players first and being a servant leader. You know, Coach Cal is out there on stuff like that. I wish people knew on the inside just how real and authentic that is. I mean, I've never been around a human being that, um, you know, really seeks to serve at a higher level and a deeper level than Coach Cal. And he instilled that in all of us, you know, he he instilled um, a a servant leadership attitude um, to put yourself second, to put yourself last and put others first. And that's how I try to lead in this program. We try to put our players first. We try to teach our players to put the community first. And, um, you know, that's, that's probably the greatest gift that Coach Cal gave me. Will, I mean, just
1: your story is fascinating. Just from a a basketball perspective, you go from kind of just working your way up the totem pole, going from, you know, basketball manager, like you said, wiping sweat off off the floor, working your way up to being a a Division II coach, returning to Rupp Arena. Just, you know, kind of tell our our listeners what that journey was like and and how you got to uh, the position that you're in right now. Yeah, it's a
3: grind, but, you know, I'm I'm privileged because of my contacts at Kentucky. Um, They were behind me every step of the way. being a graduate assistant at at Tulsa and working for Danny Manning, um, going out to San Francisco and being a director of ops for Rex Walters. We get fired in San Francisco and go back home. And I'm a a volunteer coach at my high school. Um, I'm training kids for free in Nashville. And everybody at Kentucky was always so supportive of me, regardless of where I was. And that empowered me and gave me a confidence to, to keep moving forward and got an opportunity to be a D2 assistant. And it just worked out that, um, the head coach that I work for here, Sundance Wicks, one of my best friends in the world, uh, he took an assistant job in Wyoming, and, and they promoted me. So um, all, all of that is credit to the people who've invested in me. Uh, it's, it's Coach Cal. It's guys like Kenny Payne and Orlando Antigua and, and people back in Kentucky that really invested in me and gave me that, that confidence.
1: Is there a special sauce or something with, with being a Kentucky basketball manager? You look at Travis Branagh, who's one of my good buddies as well. You know, he does the same thing and he got, kind of uses that platform to, you know, jump into being one of the most trusted insiders in the college basketball recruiting world. So uh, what, what is it in the, the special sauce there in, in Lexington that leads to, you know, uh, manager status all the way up to, you know, the, these such big heights?
3: Well, I mean, I think that when you when you see La Familia, uh, it looks like good clickbait, but that's real. Yeah. You know, like we we're, we're a true family and we look out for each other. I look at the guys that I was a manager with. um, Mark Evans, he's still working at Kentucky. Will Barton, still working at Kentucky, doing great things. Um, Brett Miller, who was an assistant at Kentucky Wesleyan for a while and then decided to go to the Dominican Republic and do ministry and sports. And, you know, all of us are are connected. Chad Sanders was was there and, and was a huge mentor to me when I was a freshman manager. And now he's the GM of the Toronto Raptors G League team. And so one, one, I think that it's it's having that platform that you all are talking about, like there's no doubt about that, being being connected with that, but also the the authentic relationship and connection that everyone builds at Kentucky, uh, it really allows you to, to move that forward. Your coaching
1: staff you filled, you know, with, with two kind of big name guys, Perry Stevenson, John Hood, uh, Kentucky fans are obviously very familiar with, how did those conversations get started? I know you're, you're obviously, familiar with them during your time there but uh what led to those two people in particular where you said you know those are my guys I got to get them on my step
3: well I have to say man like it's I said earlier that coach Cal really instilled in us taking care of the players and when I was a manager at Kentucky I mean that was the the main focus I had other jobs obviously uh but I knew that coach Cal wanted me to make sure that I was taking care of the guys and so when I became a head coach that was still that was still there you know it's deep in my subconscious so it was, it was an easy call. I knew both those guys were, were looking to get into coaching. Coach Hood was actually a, a volunteer at Kentucky Wesleyan, so I knew he already had his foot in the door. And it was a no-brainer for Mo West. I mean, think about it, Two guys that have played at a high level. Um, they know the game extremely well. Both of them have been tremendous, tremendous on the court and off the court. And if we're trying to build a, a culture of player first but also having the type of success, at least at this level, that, that Coach Cal and Kentucky has been able to have, what better than to bring in guys who actually played for Coach Cal and played within that culture? It's one thing for me when I'm getting on the guys and saying, "Hey, this is what it was like at Kentucky," and they're looking at me like, "All right, cool, coach," but you were you were the towel boy, you know, you, you were doing Coach Cal's laundry. When when Coach Hood and, and Coach Stevenson say it, it has a little bit more of a a pack to it, so I think it's great for our guys and it's a, a great vantage point for them to kind of uh, to learn from.
1: Well, the season starts with you guys after the blue-white game and Big Blue Madness. You're you're right there at the top of the schedule. What do uh, fans need to know about uh, the Griffs when they come to, to Rupp Arena?
3: Well, our whole mission is to um, kind of block out distractions. So that's that's what's going to be great is that there's there's no bigger distraction than going into to Rupp Arena, and there's going to be lights that these guys have never played under. There's going to be media outlets that they've never experienced. There's going to be fans, and I hope BBN heckles them while they're on the floor so they get that experience. Hopefully they're okay to, to me, John, and Perry. But, um, you know, I, I hope that they see a team that's resilient. I hope that that people see a team that responds well to adversity. Obviously, we're going to be outmatched in that game. I hope that people see that we're still looking to get to reads. We're, we're connected. We're playing together. And we're a team that respects the game. Um, th- those things are the most important to me. When we walk out of that gym, I hope that, um, you know, yeah, have 20,000 people who forget about Missouri Western, but I hope for at least 30 minutes or 45 minutes of their night when they're driving home, they're like, that, that, that team's connected. They love each other and they play hard.
2: And coach, I don't know if you've turned on the tape of Kentucky yet, but if you have, uh, what stands out to you and what do you see?
3: Well, Coach Hood's been scouting, so he – he, he's been watching the Bahamas game. I'm like, you're crazy, man. Was, I'm not even getting into that right now. I got enough stressors. We had a terrible practice today. I don't want to watch film of Oscar Shibwe. Um just, <laughs> I mean, nightmares. Uh, I, look, this is what I know about Coach Cal's team. They're going to they're gonna play well together. Um, they're going to be extremely fast. Um, they're going to be great in the gaps. They're going to rebound the heck out of the ball. Um, they're going to have great spacing on the floor and that's going to be challenges for us and so um i'm i'm excited i'm excited for for our guys I, I hope that we can you know make it worth kentucky's while i hope that both teams walk away from that game uh you know in their from their own vantage point saying look we got better because of this game yeah
1: personnel wise who do we need to be keeping a close eye on with the griffs is there a, a, don't, a, a neighbor, a that,
3: don't even put me in that position cuz you know my guys are going to be watching this and look I, I I hope that um, I hope that people are like that is a that is a connected team. Um, that's a team that shares the ball. That's a team that, that knows how to space on the floor. They know how to cut. They know how to screen. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a few guys that are able to um, impress. You know, I'll say this: like no one understands this level. And, and when I got the assistant coaching job, I had people from Tulsa and San Francisco. Obviously, Kentucky's on a whole nother level. But they said, Will you can't recruit like you're at a D2. You have to recruit like you're still at, at Tulsa or San Francisco. And I had never coached the D2 level. So I thought, man, that's crazy. This league that we play in in the NIAA, it's a good athletes, good coaches, uh kids that know how to play, kids that shoot the ball extremely well. And so what I hope is that um when when we walk away from that game, people are saying, wow, that's a that's a great league. The MIAA must be a great league at the D two level. D two basketball, man. There's some really good talent there.
1: Uh, you you've mastered the coach speak from Coach Powell for sure. <laughs> uh, at minimum, not single out any players that uh, to keep a close eye. Let's go down memory lane. Uh, you, I mean, just going down some of the, the the teams that you've been a part of. The 2012 championship team. The John Wall first year. John John Calipari. I uh, just, what are some of the, your favorite memories during your time in
3: Lexington? That, that first-year team was just surreal for everyone. You know, the, the energy that they brought back to Kentucky was unbelievable. Um, I'll say all the time, a, some people might get mad at me, but I, I've never seen somebody with a, a greater competitive fire than John Wall. Those practices were intense. Our pickup games were intense, and it was really led by him. And, and everybody rose to that level, but I think that all of the fans – felt that energy from, from John well, it wasn't just his performance on the floor, but it was the energy that he brought. And that was exciting for everyone that next year. I think that a lot of people, you know, didn't even expect us to make it to a final four. And that that team stood together and uh, fought hard. Brandon Knight, look, I've never been around an individual, not, not just basketball, like hear me on not just basketball. I've never been around an individual at any level that works harder than Brandon Knight. And that was amazing to, to be a part of that team. And I could, I could go down the list of the players. I don't want to leave anyone out, but then you talk about that next year. When we, when we win the national championship, what a selfless team, you know, and I I know coach Cal talks about it, but it it happened. It was real when Anthony Davis, who's one of my best friends walks into the, the locker room at halftime and he's like one for seven or one for eight. And he's like, Hey guys, bro, like I'm not making nothing. I'm going to block shots. I'm going to rebound. I'm going to impact the game defensively. I'm going to get you guys shots, knock them down. And Daron Lamb had a game out of his mind. Darius played a good game. MKG played a good game. And that team all year was just so selfless. Um, And what I'm proud of and uh, you know, it's, it's humbling for me is that I felt like it was from the top down, which I think has allowed me to have the success that I've had, Later in my life, I mean, I walked in every single day as a manager and I was driven towards the mission of the team. I feel like everybody you talk about our entire managerial staff, everybody um, on the coaching staff, our video coordinators, everybody was bought into winning a championship and doing it the right way. And there was no ego. And I always talk about that team with with my players because everyone's like, man, Anthony Davis, what a great player. MKG, Marcus Teague. Darius Miller, of course they were phenomenal players. There's no doubt, but that team was selfless. That team played for each other. That staff worked for each other. And uh, there was a hyper focused vision um, on that team that I've I've never been a part of since. And that's kind of the the goal to strive towards. And so um, unbelievable run, you know, I'm just sitting here talking out loud. I never really think about it much going from that J wall year to an elite eight, a final four, and then winning a national championship. Uh, my senior year at Kentucky is pretty pretty phenomenal.
1: But that three year stretch before that was the the last year of, of Billy G, your first year at, at Kentucky. I mean, that transition from, you know, that coach to this current coach, uh, just what was that process like? I mean, it's one of the most polarizing topics in Kentucky basketball history, really, just kind of the the falling out of Billy G and then kind of the welcoming in of Coach Cal and, and everything that's happened since then. Uh, just what was that? transition period like and uh kind of the night and day difference between the you know just i guess just overall success of the program
3: well i'll say this i'll always be grateful to billy gillespie because he gave me a shot you know if it wasn't for billy gillespie i never would have had an opportunity to be a manager for for coach Cal. so super grateful for that opportunity and i'll say that i became a much tougher individual because of the year that i spent working for coach g and his staff and there were a lot of positive values that I was able to implement that I still implement to this day. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll always be grateful to to coach and um, him giving me an opportunity, but I think, you know, what, what coach Cal did when he came in is unparalleled. Um, I think he's the best coach in college basketball. I think he's one of the best human beings in college basketball. Um, I think that what he's been able to do at, at every level, um, is unique he's always ahead of the curb and to be able to lead a program like that at that level and consistently put players first it's no, no one's done that.
1: Thinking back to that transition period, uh, one of the, the biggest topics during that time was the you know decision of Jody Meeks and what that would have done for that 20, 2009 uh, 2010 team. you were behind the scenes there. How close was Jody to coming back and would Kentucky have won it all if, if he had yes.
3: Yes, and I'm very listen, because of Coach Cal, I am very careful with my words. But um we would have won the national championship. There's no doubt. And J- Jody's my guy. I love him to death. He he made a decision and you know he had a great NBA career. But there's there's no doubt. There's 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 no doubt we would have won. Um I thought West Virginia did a good job in, in their zone in the Elite Eight, but you talk about a zone buster, Jody Meeks. Like we, we wouldn't have had any issues behind three to start off that game if Jody Meeks was on that roster.
1: Oh, makes me makes me sick just to think about <laughs> uh, uh, my favorite team of all time, the t- two thousand nine, two thousand ten team. So it's it's it cr- it's crushing to hear just the the what could have been part of it. Uh, all right, I'm putting you on the spot. Best player that you've seen during your time at Kentucky, because there were mm-hmm. that stretch in particular. There was several of them that are in the conversation.
3: Anthony Davis.
1: And why why is that?
3: He impacted. Infect- <laughs> he impacted the game on every level. And and like you said, I mean, there's been so, so many greats. Uh, It's not a knock at anyone else, but AD was just different. And his mindset was different. His approach to every single practice, um, every single film session, every single game, no matter who we were playing, um, he had a different mindset. Um, He's a one percenter, you know, as as a human being and as a performer now, and as an NBA player, but also during his time at, at Kentucky, he's able to, impact the game, just like I provided the example during the national championship, you know, he wasn't scoring the ball and he still impacted that game, you know, just as much if not more than anybody else on the floor and everybody knew it. Everybody knew that the Kansas players knew that every fan in the, in the stands knew that and everybody watching knew that every scout knew that. Um, he's different, he's still different. Um, and he's gonna have a phenomenal year this year for the Lakers. Um, I think AD has an opportunity to, to really be one of the, the best players anyone's ever seen in this generation. I truly believe that.
1: Most underrated player that you've come across in your time in Lexington.
3: Underrated. Um, I'll say this, and I was actually talking about this the other day, Deron Lamb, you know, what he was able to do, I think sometimes gets overshadowed by some others. He was, he was a guy that we could really count on to to make a bucket and, and knock down a three and was a much better defender than what he, he might get credit for. So I'd probably go Deron Lamb. I, you know Darius Miller's up there, but you know everybody shows Darius loves and yeah. appreciates Darius. But he's a guy that stayed four years. There's no way we would have won the national championship um, his senior year if it wasn't for his leadership and his stability.
1: The uh, last question for me, Sean. I don't know if you have anything else. Uh, just one uh, behind-the-scenes story from John Calipari during your time there that uh, has that you don't know of has been uh, kind of shared to the public in recent years.
3: Yeah. I love, I love sharing this when it was like his first couple of weeks on the job and um, we as managers were kind of in limbo. We didn't know if we were going to be retained by the staff or not. We'd, we'd gone through a, a few workouts and he invited us all over to his house and we were all talking like, man, we, he's going to tell us that, you know, thanks for your service, but we're, we're no longer going to uh, have you as a part of Kentucky basketball. And we get to his house and he he comes out with we sit down in his living room. He comes out with a huge platter of ribeye steaks and he literally serves us. And he he talks in that in that dinner about servant leadership and what that means and uh, you know how he wanted to invest in us so that we could give back to the players and the staff and the community in Lexington. And I'm telling you, like I, I'll get emotional. I promise I wouldn't, um, but I, I tear up every time I think about that because that. It changed my life. It changed how I perceived leadership. It changed how I perceived service um, and it, it changed my life uh, for the better. It's it's why I lead the way that I do. It's why I coach the way that I do. So not really a funny story, but a very um, impactful and meaningful story that some people might not know that that really impacted me in my life.
1: Will, absolutely fascinating stuff. Sean, do you any, have anything else before we get, get Will out of here?
2: No, I, I was going. Well, I was going to ask him. Is you know, we we know that Cal also says a lot of funny things. And is there anything that you've picked up on that maybe you've caught yourself repeating that that you heard him say? That's that a the, that's the,
3: a it's a funny question because my staff call, now that I have a staff that played for him, I do stuff without realizing it. Like <laughs> I, I don't even realize that I'm doing it, and they say, "Man, that's so Coach Cal." I think I was. I was, uh, I was getting on a player the other day for react. We talk about responding instead of reacting and reactions are typically bad and responses are typically good. And sometimes we'll do the palms up when we don't get a foul or something like that. And, um, I started kind of like doing some baby imitations, uh, like oh, man, "I'm tired, oh, oh I'm, look at me!" And, and John Hood started cracking up. Had to leave practice, and after practice, we had a staff meeting. He's like, "Coach, I'm so sorry that I left. I was crying so hard because you sounded just like Coach Cal, and I didn't even, I didn't even realize it." So, one thing Coach Cal would always do is like, if a, if a, if somebody was mopey or in a mood. I'm mad. I'm mad. And so I do that a lot. Like when our guys are mopey or they're in a bad mood, i will be like, look at me. I'm mad. And that's, that's, uh, that's vantage point. Uh, Coach Cal, there's no, he always used to say like, reach out with two hands and he would be like, look here, here. It's the same thing because everyone always thinks that they have more reach with one hand and I'll catch myself doing that a lot uh, in huddles. And like when we're not going after the ball with two hands and, um, our media people caught me one time and I sent it to some of our former players at Kentucky and staff members. Cause I didn't even realize I was doing it, but that's quintessential coach Cal.
1: Well, man, your story is fascinating and uh, we're very excited to uh, bring you back to Lexington. It's going to be an awesome homecoming and uh, we're excited to come uh, see you when you get here.
3: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm super, super humbled and grateful.
1: Yep. All right. Well, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much.
3: Appreciate you guys.
2: That's good stuff. Sean,
1: man, that was that was a blast. I think uh listeners are definitely gonna appreciate that one.
2: Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that, that this program you you see that it how it helps not just the guys that are on the floor that are going to the NBA, but the impact and and everything that this program has become over the last 12 to 13 years, how it helps in other ways too. And, and that's a that's a branch of John Calipari right there that is just gonna continue to extend throughout another De- two or three decades of college basketball,
1: and his story that he that he told about the uh, you know the decision that Cal had when when he first got there to say you know now we're retaining you guys and, and you know this here's why this is such an important thing uh, like it's little things like that 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 would never get back to Cal like that's not something that Cal probably even remembers that he that he did at, at this point you know however many years later it's been fourteen plus year, years later. Uh, it's it's just little things like that that just kind of uh, make you take take a step back and realize like man this uh, it, it goes deeper than just X's and O's it goes deeper than than basketball and and it's uh, I, I thought that part part was pretty cool
2: yeah and just the, the the wisdom that that comes from from that job and you know you're working and, and how many times do we get to to Rupp Arena for a game and we're there an hour and a half before tip off or even sooner than that and it's a student manager that is out there working out. These players getting them ready. I remember Tyler Hero, and it was Randy Gregory, and those guys working out there. Like it, those those guys are so beneficial to the success of this program, and not just this program, but beneficial to all programs across co- across college basketball. So it, it's really cool when you get to hear stories like this and how they have their own program now, and those philosophies, those concepts, and things that that John Calipari taught are still being taught in a different program at an even different level of basketball. That's really cool
1: yeah like i said uh, to him i don't know if there's uh, something in the water when you're a manager here at, at kentucky cuz with travis branham getting the role that he has now at 247 sports and will and uh, you know plenty of other managers that you know it just it's a stepping stool into something greater and uh, you know it's it's cool seeing them all kind of embrace those roles that they've gotten and and you know thrive the way that they have i think that's pretty cool but the reason why we brought will on in the first place is to talk Kentucky basketball's 2022-2023 schedule that gets announced today Sean something that we've been waiting weeks and weeks and months and months for uh, they've kind of they kinda did a a slow trickle slow uh release of them one game at a time and we've been just waiting anxiously to get the full release all the uh names or the locations the tip-off times where they are on t- uh you know the TV all that stuff. It is finally out. Uh, so let's just get rolling uh, at, at the top. What, uh, what do you think of the, uh, the release of the schedule day?
2: Uh, I like the schedule. I, I do. I, I love that the date with Gonzaga is confirmed. I like that. It's the, t- the, time slot. It's in there on a Sunday night on ESPN. It kind of gives us that 24 hour window to, to recover and get over whatever happens between Kentucky and Georgia in football. And then you get Kentucky, Gonzaga and basketball, to, uh, to cap off a weekend, I, I like the schedule. I really do from top to bottom. I like what they did with the, the exhibitions. Obviously, we we talked about Missouri Western. I like Kentucky State. They're coming to Reparina as well. And then you get those two dates there early between Howard and Duquesne before you really get into the meat of the schedule there with Michigan State. But uh, a, a lot to like. Uh, I like the non-conference. The, the SEC schedule is going to be challenging. It's going to be a schedule that is loaded with quad one opportunities and resume, resume building opportunities for Kentucky.
1: Yeah, and you know I don't want to gloss over the the a- exhibition. We talked with uh, Will about you know obviously Missouri Western and you know John Hook coming back, Perry Stevenson coming back. That part's cool. But underrated part of the Kentucky State exhibition, Chris Livingston's brother Cordell, twin brother it actually signed on this year as a freshman to play uh, for the thoroughbreds. I think that part's really cool. And, and that kind of extends beyond, you know, going into recruiting where, you know, they treat these, these kids as actual, you know, as actual humans and, and, and make it a, Uh, Like, hey, I know how much value your brother brings and how much he means to you. Let's let's add them onto the schedule and make sure that you get that moment on the floor with him. Little things like that that, you know, nobody's going to remember in three, four years who Kentucky played in the exhibition slate. Uh, you know, this season. But it's little things like that that Chris Livingston will remember that moment for the rest of his life. He's going to be able to play his twin brother at Rupp Arena for the first time, probably the only time ever uh, in his career. They played together in high school, obviously grew up, you know, they're they're twin brothers. Uh, but but they now get that opportunity. It's going to be a lifelong memory for that family in particular. And it's little things like that that I really appreciate. And uh, I didn't want to gloss that part over. I think it's going to be really cool to see the, Living, the Livingston twins uh, take the floor against each other at Rupp.
2: So, looking at these non-conference dates, give me the two you're the most excited about.
1: Because
2: we're talking Gonzaga, Kansas, Louisville. I mean, there's – so, I mean, obviously, I think Gonzaga has to be up there because it just – that meeting just doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. then seeing it, you know, next year at Rupp this year, I know it's a neutral site game, but it's, it's, in, it's out there in Gonzaga. So, uh, just – Which two are you looking at the most? We get to see them play Michigan State all the time. We see them play Louisville. You got the game in London with Michigan.
1: Got to be. be. I'm excited for the London game, but I think the meaning behind that game – I don't. Think, I think the 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 you know the the excitement has kind of died down a little bit of what that game is. Yeah. And, you know, when you get the Gen- I think Gonzaga yeah. kind of overshadowed what that game, the yeah. London game, meant. And you know, and
2: Michigan- COVID changed that schedule so much too that yeah. you know you kind of thought what well, was going to be sooner than now, and and what it is now. But it's still a good matchup, but more exciting matchup if that's a home and home. If you're going to Michigan like the way they were supposed to or they're coming to Rupp Arena, but I think it's Gonzaga and Kansas. And then uh, you obviously got to throw Louisville in there as well, uh, being at Rupp Arena.
1: And I know that there's a lot of taco, oh, you know, the the home schedule isn't strong enough. You need to – every game needs to be a top 25 team, things like that. But this roster for – this this schedule from top to bottom – there's a lot of intrigue across the board. You get the the you, you know the the storyline matchups with the exhibition games. And you get 11 teams coming off NCAA tournament appearances. You talked about you know the quad one opportunities. There's going to be a ton of those. But I, I mean, you can get into the nitty gritty of Yale, who is an NCAA tournament team this past year that Kentucky hasn't played before. I think they might have played once before, but they could have chosen that game to be another North Florida or another you know. Fill in the blank team like that, you know, another Duquesne. You know, the, the you need those type of schools on the schedule. But I appreciated that they went out and they got a Yale. And yeah. you know, it's kind of an in a Bellerman being the other one who, you know, they won the 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 A Sun last year and they would have been in the NCAA tournament had there not been uh you know the stupid eligibility rules when you're making the jump from D2 to D1. That was that's that's an NCAA tournament team. They may not officially be, but they won their conference tournament. That's an NCAA team too. Uh so I think when you add in those type of, of names, the in-state programs, things like that, I think that makes the schedule from top to bottom much more uh, enjoyable uh, where you're not going to get those, you know, November, Wednesday games where you're just sitting there going, you know, why am I here at Rupp Arena at nine o'clock at night, you know, watching fill in the blank, you know, some mid-major that nobody cares about. You get some real name brand opponents that I really appreciate.
2: And I love the location of the Florida AM and m game there. I know it's the Unity Series that Kentucky's a part of there. I like where it's at because it kind of bridges that gap from where you've been going through the the Michigan, UCLA. You've had Gonzaga, Michigan State there earlier in the season, but then you you get that date before you jump into conference play and then right back out of conference play on New Year's Eve to to host Louisville. So uh, a lot of exciting games there before you get even get into league play.
1: And Sean, get this. I, I we went through and, and looked at the numbers of uh of you know the teams Kentucky's playing this year. 12 of the t- of the 26 teams on the schedule finish inside the top 50 of the final net rankings, 19 of the 26 inside the top 150. Uh Kentucky will play seven teams ranked in the final AP or coaches polls uh last season. I mean, that's that's a a juggernaut of a schedule right there. I mean, you're not gonna get Uh, From top to bottom, you know, you get the name recognition, you get the storyline intrigue and and then just the overall talent from top to bottom. The SEC, you know, I don't think it's going to be as uh, talented as it as it has been in in recent years, but it's still a a damn good league. And I think just from top to bottom, the schedule, it's going to be a tough one. It's 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 not going to be, you know, one that Kentucky coasts through and wins every game by 50 points.
2: And I want to make sure we get to that question that popped up a minute ago. Somebody asked a question about how long the contract is with the CBS, CBS Sports Classic. That goes through 2026. So that's they, it, just actually got extended this summer.
1: What do you think of that? Because I personally, if there's one schedule change that I would be open to, I think I like the opponents that are, especially North Carolina, obviously, and even sometimes UCLA. Uh, but I definitely think that series would probably be better suited as a home-and-home. Home. What do you think?
2: I would love to see that return to a home-and-home home with Kentucky and, and North Carolina and even, like you said, Kentucky-UCLA. We, we've seen that be a home-and-home. Home. That's, that, that, yeah.
1: that,
2: that's the thing that I would like about that. Just, just get away from those and, and, two, those dates. So that one is a little bit sooner. I think it's December 17th this year. We've seen that thing be as late as, like, what, the 21st, 22nd of December, Mm -hmm. and it's so close to the holidays that the crowds weren't as good. You know, I was in Chicago, I think, 18 when they they played Carolina, and it wasn't as good of a crowd. But uh, I'm okay with it for now, but I'd love to see them move away from that when you get to 25, 26, whenever this contract is up, and start doing more home-and-homes with a Carolina, with a UCLA Keep Gonzaga on the schedule. If it becomes a, if, if, if you like the next two years and what they're doing, just keep them on the schedule. Or whoever the hot team is in college basketball, go do a home-and-home home with them. I think that, that that is more appealing to the fans than to go to New Orleans, to Chicago, to New York, wherever they're going, and just watching neutral site games against UCLA and then getting in a game with Carolina-Ohio State. I just think that there's so much more meaning to it if it's on campus. And I think even fans would enjoy seeing Kentucky go to some of these road venues and play, too.
1: Uh, Brian Stewart, Stewart, great question. Uh, which player from the non-conference schedule are you most interested in seeing? I, I think that's a, an awesome question.
2: Mm, man.
1: Got to go, Drew Timmy. I, got, I was
2: going to say Drew Timmy. I, and I got to see Drew Timmy because of all the uh, the surrounding with the, Timmy time, baby. Yeah, Timmy time and and everything with the edits for in Kentucky jerseys and stuff from <laughs> back in the the spring and summer. Because some somebody's going to ask about that leading up to that game. But no, I, I think getting to see guys that you don't really get to see a lot against your favorite team. You like we we don't get to see matchups with Kentucky Gonzaga. I, I want to see Drew Timmy against Kentucky and against Oscar Shebel.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, now that it were several months past and he's clearly not going to end up in Kentucky, I will say those conversations weren't, like, totally out of the realm of, of possibility. Like, the reason why those conversations started, they were out in California together. At, I believe it was – was it the Wooden or the Naismith? Um,
2: wooden, I think.
1: It was for the Wooden Wooden Player of the Year Award, they were out there together and they just kind of clicked. the The two players clicked and they – just kind of started talking about the possibility of, hey, how crazy would it be if the two most dominant front court players in college basketball teamed up? Like that was a very real thing. And, uh, you know, I I think when push came to shove, it didn't, the fit didn't make sense for Timmy to come here. And uh, he's where he needed to be. Kentucky's okay. At that four spot, Timmy is going to make a ton of money uh, uh, returning to Gonzaga for this year. But, I will say those conversations were very real back at that point. You know, they, they, they kind of joked about it. It, it kind of started out as a joke. And then like the more they talked about it, it was kind of like, a, well, maybe should we actually consider doing something like this? And I think that would have just, you know, been a game changer for college basketball, but I, I appreciate the way it unfolded. They talked about the fantasy land scenario. It didn't, it didn't work out. And then we get to see them play against each other this year. How, how you know, I don't think it could
2: have worked out Super better. cool. Is it Nick Smith Jr. for you in the SEC portion of the schedule? Is that the guy you're, you're most intrigued to see?
1: I think so, because Nick Smith is a guy that would have been at Kentucky. We've said yeah. it on the show several times. He was ready to commit to Kentucky. He wanted to be at Kentucky from the start. Uh, I think that was something that uh, fit-wise, I think it's better for him to be at Arkansas because he's definitely a shoot-first type of guy, and he's going to be somebody that he's going to go get his, his shots. And – uh, you know, I I do think he's going to shoot Arkansas out of games at times, but he's a very fascinating and fun player to watch. I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a guy that you'll turn it on ESPN on a Tuesday night. Sean and and you know Nick Smith's going to be have 34 points on on you know 16 shots and and you do do a bunch of crazy stuff. I'm really looking forward to that part. But I, I appreciate the way the uh, the uh, roster you know, unfolded for everybody. But yeah, Nick Smith's definitely the among SEC programs. Uh, the one that I'm most looking forward to.
2: And you were mentioning Gonzaga earlier. Don't don't they play Tennessee in an exhibition? Is that – is it an exhibition preseason?
1: The, like, the super secret, you know, behind the yeah. scrimmage? I, I think that's a possibility. And I don't know if this is out there or not, but can, but Kansas is playing Illinois uh, in Lawrence in their super secret scrimmage. What I think that, that part's going to be pretty cool, too, uh, seeing the uh,
2: – So, uh, yeah, know, that – that actually has been announced. Tennessee has it on their website Friday, October 28th, the inaugural legends of basketball classic Tennessee and Gonzaga the
1: 28th. So that's, is that a, that's a public exhibition
2: game. That's a public exhibition game Friday, October 28th at the Comerica center in Frisco, Texas.
1: Now, why the hell would you not just put that on the schedule as an old regular season game? If you're going to go through those lengths.
2: Cause I mean, you're getting a, you're, it's a pay-per-view obviously, uh, hold on ppv.com what is that sounds like
3: uh a- sounds like pay-per-view right?
1: <laughs> are, are you allowed to pay-per-view collegiate athletic, uh, athletic? That- hold on let
2: me let me look no it's it's presented live on pay-per-view yeah that's what it says in the description it's for the mcclennan foundation are
1: they are the, they're raising money though yep no that's
2: awesome that's really cool but I mean you're getting so you're getting some tape early of some of these teams against really good competition that you might not I've not looked at everybody's schedule up until that point, but I mean October 28th, I mean here it is October 4th. I mean three weeks. Yeah, we're, we're we're right here. So uh I just uh, I was looking at Tennessee's schedule to kind of see what they had in the non conference, and sure enough, and uh I think it's gonna be 999 to view that game.
1: Good value. Cool. I might I might have to uh I might have to dabble in that one. Um, we got, uh, Mr. Powell says, um, uh, Michigan, Michigan state, uh, UCLA, U of smell, KU and Gonzaga. The non-conference is loaded. Absolutely. Um, Corey 15, what SEC team do you see as the biggest threat to Kentucky winning the SEC this year?
2: Oh so, man. So Arkansas, when it comes to talent, obviously I think they're appealing. I think
1: they're going to crumble.
2: Yeah, I'm crazy. going Tennessee. Oh. Yeah. I, I just think that Tennessee is what Rick Barnes has built there. I think it's going to be sustained as long as Rick Barnes is in Knoxville. I think Tennessee is going to be the, to me, the ultimate challenger to Kentucky and what they do when it comes to the regular season crown. I think that that's a team that's going to defend you. Zakai uh, Ziegler back. I mean, they got they got guards and and they got talent that I think that they're just going to defend their tails off. They're going to be physical. And I think it's obviously, when you're you're talking about going to Thompson Bowl Arena, it's going to be one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. That hasn't translated to tournament success in the NCAA tournament for them. But regular season success in Knoxville, they don't lose there. So I think that that's probably going to be one of the stiffest uh, when it comes to teams as far as competition that Kentucky's going to face this year. But I haven't looked – that's what I was trying to look at was – the thing that you have to look at when it comes to winning the league, and Kentucky was on the – they were on the wrong side of this last year just because of the, the number of team, number of times they had to play people only getting Arkansas once and then, then going on the road to some other places and then there was no return games to Rupp Arena. That kind of puts you at a disadvantage, but they, they get Arkansas twice, they get Tennessee twice, so that's tough in itself. You want to see and, and look at schedules. That, that, that's where I think that winning the league to me – isn't the measuring stick anymore because the schedules aren't the same. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Am I crazy for thinking that Texas A&M is going to be a team to watch very, very closely because of their returning talent, because of the way they were screwed over late in the year with the, you know, the tournament and things like that. Uh, Something tells me that Texas A&M is going to be making uh, a, a serious push in that conference but I mean, just t- from top to bottom, I, it's it's clearly a a very talented conference. Not again, like I said earlier, not as high on it as I, I usually am. But some some definite threats there. And I call me crazy, but I think Texas A and is going to be right there. In the I, th-
2: I think they're a tournament team this year. Uh, I think they're going to be. Uh, a, a quality team on the floor maybe maybe our guy lyle wolf is listening to us i know that's somebody that, that may oh my God, yeah we have conversations with lyle when we see him and and I, I just i love what buzz does with that program i love his energy the run that they had to the sec title game a year ago against it to play tennessee that that was a team that just had tired legs at the end of it mm-hmm. but we watched them down there in tampa they were one of the better teams they deserved to get in a year ago they didn't get in I think that that is going to fuel them, and I think that A is is going to be right there in the hunt for an NCAA tournament bid when it comes to March.
1: Yeah, they're they're tough. All right, the big question of the uh, evening, something that I thought that we we would be able to talk about like as a as a fact, as a as a normal thing, not as as a scoop thing. Uh, I was kind of tipped off earlier in the day about the possibility of Tennessee getting added to the or uh, Indiana getting added to the schedule. Um, at, you know, at least as a future home and home possibility. And uh, Andrew Luttrell just asked, what about Matt Scoop on the Indiana return? Um, I was told that there was a chance that it was going to get announced today, but they are deep in conversations. I talked to several people throughout the afternoon uh, that that's something that they are actively discussing. And you saw uh, Dan Dockich bring it up publicly, say that Kentucky and and, uh, Indiana are talking about a series uh, here in the very near future. I think that's going to be one of the biggest storylines in all of college basketball for the next you know, couple of years because of just kind of the, the history of the rivalry. the, you know, Coach Cal will never go back to Assembly Hall, you know, is it going to be a neutral site, you know, uh, series, or is, or is it going to be a true home and home, things like that. I, I think it's just a really controversial, intriguing series, Sean, that I am dying to get the details on.
2: Kentucky and Indiana should be on the schedule every single year. When I was growing up in, as a kid, you you would have Kentucky, Indiana in December. You'd have Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, North Carolina, and it would be consecutive Saturdays, majority of the time. You get to early December and you have one, get the next one, and then Kentucky, Louisville. I I just think that that should always be to me that, that that's how the schedule was as a kid, and I'd love to see that schedule get back to some of them. We were talking about home and homes instead of the the CBS Sports Classic. I'd love to see Indiana return to the schedule. Kentucky going to Assembly Hall. Indiana coming to Rupp Arena. Uh, I know back in the day you had all those those neutral site games that be played at Freedom Hall, be played at the RCA Dome and stuff there in Indianapolis. But Indiana, Kentucky belongs in Assembly Hall and in Rupp Arena. Not a neutral site. It's a home and home series.
1: Will Cal return to Assembly Hall, Sean? That's that. That is the question. It's not about what it should be. It's about what is going to happen. Do you Did, see Cal ever returning? Man, to assembly
2: hall? Kentucky will at some point. I'm not sure if John Calipari will, but he, he
1: hates that place. Hates that place.
2: The only way that I think John Calipari returns to Assembly Halls if Kentucky's not very good and Indiana's in the NIT and they make them go there. That's the only way. I. Don't, I that's just. I don't know though. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: But but man, what if what if it's. A moment that Cal has where he goes, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of everybody talking trash. Indiana fans chirping constantly. Oh, you're never going to go to assembly hall. You're too scared. You're too scared. It would mean the world to me for Cal to say, you know what? I'm going to show you how scared I am. And I'm going to go up there. and I'm going to knock your teeth in, beat you by 30 points. And then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to wave to the fan base as we're leaving and say, hope you enjoyed it because I'm never coming back. This is the last time. I, I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. That would be just icing on the cake. And then, uh, Bobby Davis asked uh down there, so I missed what Cal's shop shocking surprise to the schedule was. Can you guys discuss what it was? That that was the I mean, they're deep in discussions. I mean, this this series, Sean, is is very much likely uh, and could be announced at any point. So uh that that's what Cal was definitely alluding to.
2: So uh, if this does get announced, then I'm sitting here saying that I don't think he's going back. But maybe it is Cal. Maybe maybe Cal has been listening to people over the last six or seven months. I mean, we we did see him start offering guys sooner in recruiting. He's engaging with the fan base. I think even better than he ever has. Maybe this is the sh- another shift in it. Maybe going back to Assembly Hall. I listen. I know what happened that night, and I know that they're you know Darius Miller. You see that clip? He's laying on the floor. Indiana fans. Yeah. Storming the floor. it wouldn't it, it was it was uncalled for a, a lot of it was. It was very it was dangerous. I mean, Kentucky could have lost a guy there that night. I mean, there could have been injuries. you don't know and you more so than that fights you don't know what's going to happen when when there's people storming the floor, but Kentucky gets court stormed all the time, but nothing to that magnitude that night. It felt like I wasn't there, but watching it on TV. The top row of assembly hall was on the floor within thirty seconds is what it looked like. That's how crazy that environment was. but Hey, nothing more. Nothing would mean more than to go back there and get a win in that environment, right? And yeah. uh, and, yeah. and reignite this rivalry. It's too good of a rivalry for them to not play in some fashion.
1: And I just think Indiana fans have just got uh, they've they're confused. They're they're delusional, thinking that it has anything to do with. Cal being scared of Indiana or having anything to do with like the the current trajectories of the two programs or you know where things are Cal is not scared of that they he just understands the last time that he was there his team was put in danger and that's not you know he sees it as a safety issue that he doesn't want to put his own players as kind of the you know the yeah, the, the father figure of these guys, he doesn't want to put his team in a dangerous situation because Indiana fans made it a dangerous situation last time it happened. Cal is not afraid to lose a freaking basketball game. He's afraid of the consequences of what would happen because Indiana fans proved last time that they can't handle a situation like that. And then we got to see what happened in the NCAA tournament when the game actually mattered. The where the two teams actually were when it actually mattered most. So. Yeah. Uh, That's that's one part I'm very excited for Indiana fans, too.
2: That was was probably one of the most exciting games of that tournament run that year in 2012 because Indiana scored the ball that night. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't matter. I mean, Kentucky was just scoring at a clip that was just unreal. I mean, what was the final, 102 to 90?
3: Something
2: like that. It was just like, I don't care. I don't even have to defend you tonight. We're just going to outscore you. And, uh, I mean, yeah, and then the last game, obviously, they played there in uh, 2016. So it, it's time for Kentucky and Indiana to play again, not just in an NCAA tournament where you leave it up to the committee. Because we know if, if these two teams are in the tournament and if there's any chance that they're positioned somewhere near, they're going to be in that same region, that same opening weekend bracket. Take care of it yourself and just schedule the regular season and play.
1: Uh, E70-ish says, Freedom Hall deserves uh, the game. Indiana at Freedom Hall. Uh, I, I've always liked the idea of freedom Hall. I, I like the cool venues and I think that's part of the reason why I'm so frustrated with the Gonzaga, you know, and I, we didn't even get to talk about this. What did you think of Gonzaga putting out there today? A, a neutral neutral, side, neutral site game instead of it being a true home and home. How stupid like how how unbelievably stupid can you be? To understand that, that that venue is less than a mile away from their campus, it is a twenty one hundred mile trip for Kentucky,
2: and, and you're adding they're your
1: capacity to say neutral site,
2: and you're adding fans. You're going to have more Gonzaga fans in the building doing it this way than you would. So it's still a home game. Regardless, it's a quad one opportunity for Kentucky, whether it's neutral or whether it's road. That's that's the one thing about it, but. Having, I mean, it having it labeled a neutral site. Let's say that they fall in the net. I mean, it would it would change whether it's a quad one or a quad two, and it shouldn't. You're going all the way across the country, and they're, I mean, they get on a scooter and go down the street and play this thing. Like, come on now. Uh,
1: no, I don't want to hear it. It's it's a home and home. They scheduled it as a home and home. The only reason why they wanted to do it is to bring more attention to what is most likely going to be the highest profile game of the year because of what the game means, what the, you know, the the height behind the two teams, the, you know, Drew Timmy versus, you know, Oscar Sheboy thing. It's going to be the highest, you know, the most anticipated game of the season outside of maybe Kentucky, Kansas. Uh, There's a reason that they want to have more than 4,000 fans at that venue. They want it to be something that everybody goes to. It's just, it's very frustrating that these idiots in Spokane are going, well, You guys are too scared to come to the kennel. So, you know, just shut up. Uh, It drives me nuts. I
2: I think that I would love to have seen it in the kennel, in that that environment, but it's still – I mean, you're going all the way out there for that game. That's a road game for Kentucky, no doubt about it. And it's a a quick turnaround for Kentucky when it comes to the schedule. I mean, November 15th, 17th, I mean, they just get – they get home from Indianapolis and then go right back on the floor again playing South Carolina State, and then go to Gonzaga, uh, that's a a busy week for them. And then a quick turnaround there right before Thanksgiving as well. So that's – how many how many games there? Four four games in eight days for Kentucky Mm -hmm. basketball fans. Uh, to definitely get your your taste of Kentucky basketball in November. The one thing I'm interested in for next year's schedule is where they put that Gonzaga game at Rupp Arena, if they put it there in early December or, or, or what they do with it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm curious if they just kind of leave it at the same late, you know, before Thanksgiving, end of November. If, you know, that's when you guys got it. That's when we're going to get it back here. That would make a lot of sense. But, yeah, I, I think that part's intriguing. I,
2: I like it because we're going to know something about Kentucky before Thanksgiving. You know, you get all the holiday tournaments. You get you get Maui. You get all the the invitationals and things. Feast week. You're going to know about Kentucky before feast week even arrives. Like I, I think that that's why I like the way the schedule is lined up this year.
1: Yeah, uh, we're gonna start wrapping up on the schedule with Sean. Before we get out of that and talk a little bit about recruiting, uh, we'll, you know, there's there's some recruiting news, but it, you know, and we'll we'll definitely run through those quickly. But uh, not a whole lot has changed in in you know, the grand scheme of things. So we're not gonna go ten minutes per recruit and all that stuff. So uh, we'll answer some of the questions that you guys have, and if you have them, make sure that you hit them in the chat. Uh, Where uh, there are a couple that I see that we'll answer first, but. Uh, make sure you get them in before we wrap the show up. Um, Big Blue Madness campout was this past weekend. Big Blue Madness is it's scheduled for October 14th. Uh, you get the campout. I was there, um, you know, went, went there, interviewed some fans about their experience, things like that. Sean, I'll be the first to admit it was not a lot of people. Very, very small turnout, and I was pretty shocked at how – uh, I, I don't know if it was because it was just a one night thing. And it used to be, uh, you, you know, in previous years, it was a, a full week. You know, fans take an entire week of vacation off work. And I don't know if that was a big part of it or what, but uh, just not the turnout that I think that Kentucky was hoping for, that I think that, that, that me personally, I was expecting that. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the excitement of the team or uh, you know, what fans think of, of you know, of, of the team or, or anything like that. I just think it was just kind of a – it got announced late, um, you know, a one-night event instead of a, a whole week-long thing. And, and you know, the Oxford uh, trip that, that fans were clearly, you know, all in on, that you could hear the big blue – go big blue chants through the TV. I think all those things together combined for a pretty underwhelming turnout uh, there at uh, Big Blue Madness Camp Out
2: yeah i i wasn't there i didn't get to see in, in person but you know seeing pictures and videos it it wasn't as big of a turnout it was in recent years i don't know if that that football kick had a lot to do with that or, or what it was but it, it certainly didn't didn't line up with some of the years that they've had but those tickets were gone just like that when they did get, when they did go out to the public so at least uh how how quick was it when those sold when those were out? I, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but they were they were gone pretty quickly.
1: It was quickly, yeah. But I will say a lot of that was the scalpers because they were put on the ticket sites right afterward for 150 200 bucks. Yep. Which you know it it is what it is. Scalping is a part of you know the ticket business and all that. But it, it is you know it just it's one of those things that yeah I think there is something to be said that the tickets were sold as fast as they were. Uh, because the event itself, as Cal said, he it, it wants to be something that fans, you know, talk about for a month straight that the you know, media talks about for a month straight. He wants it to be an exciting high profile event. And I just think, you know, the last second put together, you know, camp. But I think they did their best. I'm not blaming UK for it at, at all. Uh, you know, they, they did their best. They did the, the tailgate thing, the, the watch party. I think that part was really cool. Uh, but you know just kind of is what it is fans I don't think we're you know all that invested in a one-night camp out going out setting up tents and doing all that stuff um so yeah I I, I it just it just kind of sucks that uh you know it's something that fans are always super excited about and I enjoy covering and going to see in person and it just kind of came and went with not a whole lot of conversation about so uh very very uh interesting in that regard
2: yeah and and obviously the thing that we're looking for now is what is the show that Kentucky puts on at big blue madness? Like that's the, that's the thing that, that we're looking, that we're looking for here. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be there that night. I will be at the blue white game in Pikeville on 22nd, but we, we open our, our middle school basketball scrimmage season. And we'll be at Teleco Plains almost near Chattanooga mm-hmm. when Kentucky's at big blue madness. So uh, you'll have to fill me in on everything that's going on that night, but I'm sure I'll be watching the replay and hopefully Kentucky puts on a show.
1: Yeah, it's it's with uh, the recruits that are showing up. You know, you got D.J. Wagner, you got Aaron Bradshaw, you got Justin Edwards, Reed Shepard, Dink Pate, uh, a long list of of high profile recruits. I think Carter Knox was just announced as a as a uh, another addition. It's going to be a high profile recruiting event. And uh, Sean, get your thoughts on this. Cal's not going to bring in D.J. Wagner and Aaron Bradshaw on a visit. If Big Blue Madness isn't going to be something that people talk about for a month, as Cal says, like well, there's, there's clearly a reason why he's bringing in all of his most you know uh, sought-after recruits for this event specifically.
2: This this is the closing moment, really. I mean, yeah. this is your this is your last statement that you can really make. You you've made your pitch. You've made it for months now. This is where you're like, okay, this is what we're doing here. This is Kentucky basketball. This is what we're about you would have to think that John Calipari has something pretty big up his sleeve, you know, for this event. I mean, hosting those guys and all the people that's coming in uh, all the talk about making madness cool again. You need to live up to it now because this is uh, some big time visitors coming on campus.
1: Yeah. We'll uh, wrap up the show with a couple more uh, questions about, you know, recruiting. And there's one about uh, Uganda Kingsley. Uh, on Yenzo, I know how he's looking. I do have an update on that. and uh, Apparently, things are going very well. But, you know, the, the question of the hour that everybody wants to know about, James Dockery has percent chance. Caps get both Wagner and Bradshaw at this point. Uh, Sean, I think that uh, things are going very, very well with DJ Wagner. I do think that Kentucky, as you said, is that they're kind of putting together their closing pitch. They want this. Yeah. Uh, big Blue Madness event they want this to be the one that they say all right, he has no reason to not commit to us anymore. Uh, I think it's big big news that he has not scheduled uh, a trip to Louisville live for their kind of you know midnight madness event. I think that the the fact that you're getting him on campus, you're getting him away from Louisville still to this point, Sean, this is going to be his second uh, his second visit with zero scheduled to Louisville with his own grandfather there. Uh, the fact that I, he, they're not even getting a courtesy visit, uh, I, I don't think you could get more optimistic about where things stand about Kentucky. I said on this show, I just don't think that this is a recruitment that Cal will lose. I think he would fight to the death mm-hmm. for this recruitment just because of what it means and uh, you know the, the meaning behind all of it. Uh, I, I have never thought that DJ was going to uh, go anywhere but Kentucky. I just didn't think Cal was going to allow it. And I think the recent development with, with DJ going to Big Blue Madness and Cal clearly going all in to, to get this thing closed out. I think it, it definitely says something.
2: Yeah. And and when you see that there's not a visit to Louisville, I thought that that was a big one. That was when you kind of sit back and you go, mm, okay. Like now you you know Kentucky's in a really good spot in this one. And and like I said earlier, this is where you put the you apply the finishing touches. You know, this is where you 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 kind of you're sitting at the table what you, you've had the entree. Now you're looking for the dessert and then you're, you're, you're putting cherry on top of this thing. And then this is where you get it finished. You, you get the commitment date for Bradshaw. We know that that's coming up right there before the early signing period. And then the early time in November, you'd love to add DJ to that too, and kind of have this class all wrapped up before you even get into the, the bulk of your season. And then if you need to add something late, then you can kind of key in on that one spot that you need or two spots that you need from the portal or returning players.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Aaron, I think it's still very complicated. We don't, we won't know officially uh, he, he's still in the process of scheduling some visits. He's going to go to Texas. He's going to go to UCLA. And um, I, I think that Kentucky, Kentucky really likes where it stands. I think they're, they're still a little concerned about the G league. Um, I think mom is, is, you know, just' She hit pause on things, you know, kind of way back when, and they're massaging that very, very delicately, just, you know, making sure she's comfortable with this whole thing and making sure that Kentucky, that that she knows that Kentucky is the place for uh, her son. And we talked about on the last show, we don't have to go into you know the ins and outs of, you know, the the Ghana on dynamic and where things stand there. And, and, you know, Oscar potentially coming back, things like that. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts, uh, but Kentucky is definitely massaging that one very delicately. And I think it's going, it's going very well, so I do like where things stand. Just keep an eye out on uh, on the G League. I think if, if he does go to, to college, I do think that Kentucky is uh, that option for right now. There's a question. John Hand says, are we out on Ron Holland, and is Ian Jackson attending Big Blue Madness? Uh, Ian's in the process of scheduling those visits. I don't think it's been finalized. Uh, for Big Blue Mattis, but he's going to make his way to campus here very, very shortly. Uh, Ron Holland, uh, interestingly enough, as much as they keep putting out the hourglass emojis, you know, mom saying, you know, all this cryptic stuff and, and things like that. I was told on UK side that uh, they're still all in on, on Ron. They're pushing for another visit and Ron actually wants to take another follow-up visit to Lexington, which I think could definitely complicate things for sure. The longer that this drags out for Mm -hmm. Uh, for a commitment, if, if you know he's he's talked pretty seriously about making a commitment in, in October, uh, I think he's he's hit pause on that a little bit, where he's not just you know ready to wrap this thing up. I think he'd like to know where he's going to be going by the end of October, but I think uh, it's still very complicated. Kentucky wants to get him back on campus. He wants to return. He will not be at Big Blue Madness. They tried uh, to get him on campus, but he will not make it uh, for that. But he does. They are in the works of scheduling a visit for Ron and, and Ron would like to return back. So it uh, doesn't sound like a guy that's in any uh, super big rush to make a decision, Sean. And I think that would be a uh, huge news for, uh, for Kentucky, you know, like we had Travis Branham on a couple weeks back. I, I don't think Kentucky is in the driver's seat for Ron. I think it, when push comes to shove, there are other schools more desperate uh, to, mm-hmm. to, and him and Kentucky get adding him would be just kind of a you know an icing on the cake deal. So I think that's going to be what ultimately pushes him elsewhere. But I, I do think the fact that they're still fighting tooth and nail and Ron's still very open to that, uh, I think it's still a, a pretty, uh, pretty substantial bit of news there, Sean.
2: Yeah, it is. And there, there's a lot to play out. I mean, there's, there's still. You you have a lot of this class put together. We had Reed Shepard on here a week ago. You still got Rob Dillingham. You know we got ju- they got Justin Edwards. So we know what they have when it comes to perimeter. We're they're still looking and trying to figure out what what happens with DJ Wagner. You you love where Kentucky's at with him, and you, you look at this and there's still a lot to play out, but it could play out pretty quickly. I mean, you it could play out here before. Kentucky even goes to Gonzaga on November 20th because that'll be the same week of that signing period. That that's where you that's what I keep looking at. Is I like to see what Cal does with this class before you get into the season because the, the more that you have sorted up and, and kind of solidified, then you can focus all your recruiting efforts efforts moving forward, focus on the season and the task at hand. And then, like I said, look at the portal and kind of fill your roster as needed. So I think it takes a lot off the staff if you can get it done in the fall. And, and I think Kentucky would love to have this thing all wrapped up by the time they really get into the season.
1: Yeah, I think dream scenario would be you get DJ's commitment imminent. I mean, you get that thing wrapped up as soon as possible. You get Aaron Bradshaw committed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still think it'll be complicated. I still think that he may listen to the G League. Uh, getting him committed, I think, would be a big deal. Um, do so you, you know, think
2: that's a commitment spring sign or do you think that that's a fall uh, sign and maybe change his mind and go G league possibly? That
1: would be possible. but I, you know even if he signed I don't think it would it would matter because yeah. you know he'd just have to sign you know scholarship papers and then you know back oh, out yeah. in March or whatever. But even still, I think that's an ideal scenario for Kentucky because you do have, like we said last week, you have Oscar you, you know potentially coming back. And you have Uganda Kingsley on Yenzo, and then you you know potentially have a twenty-four big reclassing or whatever. Uh, at least get it. It's kind of like the Rob Dillingham situation where we're like, you know, you just want him committed as that placeholder just in case something happens with DJ, just in case you get an Ian Jackson reclass, yeah. in case Rob you know ducks at the last minute. You want him as that placeholder, hoping that he gets on campus. You you know, fingers crossed he does get on campus. But it's just better to have him you know kind of in your back pocket just in case. And I think that's probably an ideal scenario. And then the longer it goes with Ron Holland, I definitely think that, uh, favors Kentucky. Uh, if he were to commit today, I definitely don't think Kentucky would be the choice. So you want that to go on as long as possible. And Kentucky is definitely doing uh, what it takes to make that ha- make that happen. Uh, John P. Ryan says UK offering Dink Pate soon. I-, I do think that that'll happen at some point. He's visiting for Big Blue Madness. Uh, he's a big, big fan of the Kentucky basketball program. The Texas Ties, I think KT Turner's uh, very serious about him. And, and I do think that Uh, If he continues to progress the way that he's, he's showing, I mean, he started the summer as a, you know, top 40, top 50 ish recruit. Now he's, you know, kind of a fringe top 15, top, you know, maybe, maybe even top 10, but definitely top 15, top 20. Uh, I definitely think that he would be of Kentucky interest. I would not be shocked at all. if They offer at some point soon. Um, I think that is close to the end. I will say Adam Hicks says uh, any updates on how Kingsley is doing in practice, I've heard uh, just this week. I heard that he's been sensational. That he has really, really uh, come along quickly. Uh, I think the the thing that impresses the staff the most about him is is his basketball IQ and how quickly uh, he's he's kind of taking things in mentally. Sean, I think that's something that you know you never know about a reclass kid. You never know about how they're going to you know adjust to that college speed, the college game, the you know the X's and O's side of things. Apparently, Uganda has been exceptional, exceptional in that regard. That you know, basketball IQ is just at, at an all-time high, uh, and they're really, really optimistic in that regard. You know, he's still raw offensively. All the things that we've already discussed, uh, elite defensively. Uh, but what's separating him right now is his basketball IQ and how quickly that he has kind of grasped uh, everything from a basketball IQ perspective. And I think that makes me a little bit more optimistic that we could see him potentially yeah. a little bit uh, earlier than maybe uh, we anticipated.
2: Well, yeah. And he had the benefit of getting here. It wasn't as early as everyone else, but he got here in August. So it's not like he was a mid-year guy. So I think getting, you know, Kingsley on campus when he arrived, that, that gave him the full fall period, late summer, early fall, those two months of workouts, getting in the gym and everything, getting in the weight room. And then now the official practice portion. So it's, it what I'm trying to get at is even though he wasn't with the Bahamas, there's really no reason for him to be behind. So talking development and things that they're doing and implementing philosophy and concepts and everything that they want to do in this program. uh, He's been able to get the bulk of it and not miss a ton of it.
1: Uh, John Pirine, Trey Johnson visiting soon. Yes. That was a little bit more complicated. I think, uh, he's going to be very open to the pro route. Um, I do think that he's feeling the home the home schools. He's, he's visited Texas and Baylor at this point. Um, I, I know he's very high on Kentucky, and Kentucky obviously likes him. Again, the Texas connection with KT Turner. Uh, I definitely think that's um, something to keep an eye on. But I I don't know. Something tells me that by the end of the day, he's going to end up being one of the pro kids. Um, so I I like his his game a lot. I think he's an exceptional th- uh, scorer, especially from you know the intermediate and, and three point range. I, I love Trey Johnson's game, um, but I think that one's just a little bit too early to make a, a call. Uh, either way. Um, Matt Clary asks, and I'll ask this one for you, Sean, before we get out of here. Who are you most excited to watch play this season for Big Blue? And do you think we are the front runner for the national championship?
2: Ooh, who am I most excited to see play? Ooh, Jacob Toppin. I want to see if Jacob Toppin can sustain the things that he did in the Bahamas, that three point stroke, uh, becoming a, a more efficient guy off two feet in the paint, a, a guy that I think can get to the free throw line a lot for Kentucky and defend one through four. I want to see if he continues to emerge into me an, an all SEC defensive guy playing more minutes and possibly an all SEC player overall and an eventual NBA draft pick. Like I, I think that that's the guy you want to have your eye on. I've been in the program three years now. We know the upside, the potential. This is his time. It's his year. Yeah. And yes, I think that they are one of the front runners for the national championship if they stay healthy.
1: Yeah. I- Agree, I think. Um, what let, a little
2: lineup question somewhere.
1: Yeah, I saw that one. And then, um, yeah, uh, Andrew Luttrell says, as of today, who's your starting five? I'm going Savir Wheeler, Kaysen Wallace, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, Oscar and I, I kind of hesitated there on Antonio Reeves because...
2: Chris Livingston.
1: I heard good things about Chris Livingston. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be a it might be a game by game situation you know depending on what the wing is on the other team because they are so confident in all three of those options CJ Livingston or CJ Frederick being the other option i think any of those three guys i think kentucky is going to be just like you know whoever we need to go against the other guy i think they they're going to play
3: and
2: i think it all depends on role, too I think that once you get into the early season, you kind of see roles start to to shake out and, and carve out roles. And it, do you want Reeves as that instant offense guy off the bench that's still going to play starter minutes? Chris Livingston off the bench as a, a high-energy guy, a guy that can defend, a guy that can get out and run and transition and do some things, a, a power body. Cal has options. That's the thing. But I think the other four names that we said, I think those are locks. I think that those are definite starters, Wheeler, Wallace, Toppin, and Sheboy. it's that third piece, and it's probably the guy that's going to play the three. Uh,
1: good question from Brian Huey, and let's get out of here with that one. I, I, two more. I, I swear we're going to get out of here in a second. <laughs> the new questions just keep rolling in. Keep I feel, coming in. I feel uh, inclined to answer it. Brian Huey, uh, does uh, Kingsley take where's minutes by the end of the season? Uh, no, you know, I think I think that they really respect what Lance Ware brings to the table. I think they really respect his leadership and uh, mm-hmm. his mindset, the way he has really embraced his role. And I don't think that they understand that it's going to be a process with, with Uganda, and, and they're not in any rush to bring him along. Uh, if he can add something great, if not, then they're very comfortable letting you know that process kind of play out. Uh, I think that they really respect what Lance Ware brings to the table, and they're not going to just, you know, this late in the game, let another guy kind of take over that role.
2: Lance Lance is a culture guy at Kentucky, a place that's been hard to sustain guys in your program that understand your culture and what you want to do. Lance, to me, his greatest attribute and the thing that's, to me, his key part of his game is he understands his role that's why i think lance will continue to to get minutes and whatever those minutes are if it's a game where you need him for 18 or 19 he's going to give it if it's a game you need him for 5 or 6 he's going to give it and he's going to have the exact same energy from start to finish regardless of however many minutes, minutes he plays
1: yeah, and if it's a night that he gets 18 or 19 i think that, that there could be a chance that ugana gets you know 5 if there's yeah. a night that lance is only needed for 5 and you know ugana's playing well he could give you 10 12 15 whatever I, I think those two are going to be interchangeable, but I, I don't think it's going to be a scenario where, you know, Uganda ends up, you know, averaging 20 minutes a game by the end of the year. And Lance is, you know, the, the last guy off the bench. I just don't en- envision that being uh, a, a scenario uh, that works out that way. Last one, I promise, James Dockery, <laughs> would you all say if Cal gets Wagner and Bradshaw, would it be Cal's best class since he's been the coach here? Um, no, I don't. I, I think that it's a very good class. But as I've said on the show before, I think it's a bunch of Robins, not a bunch of of Batman. I think it's guys that are are very good players, but I don't think there's an elite player in this class. It's just a you know, it's just the, the nature of the beast. Some classes are stronger than others, and this is just a, a a class that's that's a little bit weaker than than we've seen in recent years. And unfortunately, I think class of 2024 is even weaker. We're going to need uh, some 25 reclasses to step in to really make that. Uh, class strengthen up a little bit because right now it's, it's a really, really underwhelming class. Um, this one's a, a pretty, pretty okay class and Kentucky's getting the best of those players.
2: That, that's what I was about to say. The good news is you're getting the best of the best in that class so that means the the rest of college basketball is still getting those same players in that same class but you are getting the best. Uh, I will say this. When it comes to talent it's not, but I think this is the class that, that signals Kentucky's getting back to what it wants to do in recruiting. Yeah,
1: because Everybody's recruiting from the same pool of players, so it's not like like oh, Kentucky's taking a bunch of of bad players just for the sake of doing it. They're getting you know everybody else is taking the players that are low, even lower on you know the 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 board. So Kentucky is they're they're doing the right thing. We've that's been a topic on the show in the past. You know, is it the right move for them to take as many guys in this class? I do think it is the right move when push comes to shove because they're getting the guys that other guys can't.
2: And Justin Edwards is, is still going to be my pick for the best player in this class. I, I think that – I think that dude's a star from the moment he gets at Kentucky. I really like him. I like his game. I, I love what his role is going to be. And uh, I think of guys coming in, I feel like he can do a lot and impact the game in a lot of ways with that length, that, that athleticism, all of it.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't want – when I say that it's a class of Robin – Players, not Batman. Like I don't want that to be taken as a slight. I I see that more as guys that are understanding of what their role is Mm -hmm. and what they are as basketball players. Justin Edwards is the perfect example. That's a guy that heard every single pitch that he could have possibly wanted to hear from you know schools like Tennessee, Auburn, you know, you know even the schools in the Northeast that were recruiting him earlier on in the process. They all wanted him to be their superstar, come in and average thirty points a game type guy. And Kentucky said, "That's not who you are." And if you want to be a real NBA player and if you want to be an NBA star at the end of the day, you come and learn how to be a better teammate. You come in here and learn how to do the little tiny things that will maybe catapult you into being a star down the road. But right now you're not that guy. And we're going to develop you, uh, you know, later on down, down the road and, and you know, I think that part in particular is, you know, their understanding of who they are as basketball players is the best part of what this, this class is for Kentucky Reed, obviously fits that, you know, fits that to a T I I think, uh, you know, Rob Dillingham uh, for what he is, uh, you know, I think he might be the outlier of those guys that thinks he's, you know, a little bit further along than he might be, but, you know, I I still think that's going to work. It's just a, a lot of, um, a lot of complimentary pieces, I think. And I think that's what makes it a strong class, but it's definitely not Cal's best uh, just in terms of overall talent. Um, well, that's it. I think that, that wraps it up. I promise that'd be our last one, even though more questions are rolling in, come back next Tuesday. I promise that we'll answer all of those. We've gone already a little bit long. We've had a blast tonight. Appreciate uh, our guy, Will Martin coming on from Missouri Western to talk about that exhibition match- matchup, show before we get out of here. Uh, message from our friends at Athletic Greens. Our next partner uh, has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1. Because I'd ramped up my daily workouts and eating a cleaner diet. And athletic greens was the perfect complement to my efforts in getting healthy. The thing is, I didn't want a chalky, nasty, bitter supplement that tasted like grass clippings. I wanted something I genuinely enjoyed with a mild tropical taste. It's a drink I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. To help start your day right, the special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Uh, It supports better sleep quality and recovery, supports mental clarity and alertness. Uh, You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance with over 7,000 five-star reviews. Athletic Greens is the thing for you right now. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com pilgrim. Again, that is athleticgreens.com pilgrim, P-I-L-G-R-I-M, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Sean Smith, that wraps up this edition of Sources Say. Uh, where can fans find your work?
2: You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry.
1: Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR. Reach out to me via email, at JPilgrim, at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam Pack Source to Say podcast. We will see you then.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament.